0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Strip Back the Pages. A few weeks ago, back in December last year, I had author Annalise Snopp on the show. This week, I am thrilled to introduce her writing partner, Galadriel Coffin, who will tell us all about her own career and the magic of their collaboration. Let's get into it. So, Galadriel, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. My pleasure. I guess the first thing I've got to ask you is, where are you based? What part of the States are you from?
1: Well, it's hard to say where I'm from because I've moved around a lot growing up. Okay. Um, I, I, was, I was born in Chicago. I lived in a variety of places in the Pennsylvania and Virginia area, near Washington, D.C. for a while. Yeah. And uh, now I'm in the South In Alabama, right. I can do you a nice Southern accent if you want. I don't normally have one, but... That's
0: (laughs) fantastic.
1: But, uh, yeah, so it's it's odd, though, having lived in so many places. A lot of Americans can't pin down my accent. Right. And they'll say, oh, well, you have just sort of like a generic accent, or uh, I guess it's a bit Northern, but maybe, maybe not.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So you're an author... How long have you been writing? What got you into writing?
1: I suppose reading got me into writing. Yeah. I read and wanted to create my own stories. Mm-hmm. And I've been writing for almost as long as I can remember. Yeah. Uh, the first the first time that I have a clear recollection of writing a story down, I think I was about eight, I had these three um, stuffed animals that lived on my bed, uh, a monkey, a lion, and a polar bear. And so I had all these stories about a big game hunter who was trying to capture them and take them to a zoo. And he was an idiot and they were always, you know, getting him to fall into his own traps and stuff. And I just wrote this whole series of stories about them and never stopped. And things just kept getting longer and more complex until I ended up where I am now.
0: Oh, brilliant. That sounds brilliant. And I love the story. Absolutely love it. So tell us about your latest release. What, What inspired it?
1: Well, the latest thing I released would be um a short-ish story yeah. called Magical Mechanics, um, which is the second short story, the third overall installment in a sort of gas lamp fantasy mystery series that I'm working on. Mm. Um so the the main focus of the of the trilogy, it's gonna be a trilogy of main books, is on the uh, Royal Investigative Service, which is basically their culture's equivalent of the FBI,
0: yeah.
1: sort of federal agents. But then I'm also writing an accompanying series of short stories that take place between the events of the book and are from the point of view of one of the minor characters from the books.
0: Mm.
1: So that's what my most recent one was, was a, a young fairy and her boyfriend trying to work their way toward a better life in a society that discriminates against fairies.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it does. It sounds magical. It just sounds brilliant. So, yeah. In fact, I've noticed in because, by the way, I love your website. Oh, thank you. Brilliant website. So, obviously, sort of magic and how do we describe the genre? Well, that
1: specific story, this, that specific series.
0: I mean, are they all the same genre? Because, obviously, you've got magic and motor cars, dragon bone engine, magical mechanics.
1: Right, those are all part of the same series.
0: Right, they're all part of the same series. Gotcha. Right. Yeah,
1: so that series is a little bit steampunk, I suppose. Yeah. Um, I, I would classify it more as gaslamp fantasy. It's in a Victorian or Edwardian kind of time period, but it's, it doesn't rely heavily on the sort of steam-powered stuff the way steampunk usually does. Yeah. And it's, and it's a mystery series, so I suppose a bit, a bit Sherlock Holmes plus dragons.
0: Oh, what a combination. That is a fantastic combination. I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I I like it. I do like it. So that's serious. But I mean, how how has it taken you to write?
1: Well, goodness, the concept has been in my head for a long time. Yeah, I wrote an initial draft probably close to ten years ago. At this point, mm. in which the the main characters of the of the trilogy, Becca and Donovan their characters just sort of sprang fully formed into my mind. And I started writing with them and the plot and the setting bear absolutely no resemblance to that initial draft, but the characters didn't change, at least not significantly. So I've been sort of turning them over in my mind for for years, Mm. trying to figure out exactly what story they needed me to tell about them. As for the actual writing process, once I knew what I was doing, once I had a solid plan... The novel, um, the the case of the Dragonbone Engine, the first novel in the trilogy, I think it probably took about a year of writing and then a year of of editing. Yeah. Um, The short stories, not quite so long, although they're not really short. Mm. They're shortish. Yeah. They're perhaps bordering on novella length. (laughs) I can't do short.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I know what you mean. So you got the concept 10 years ago.
1: Something like that.
0: And then released... Was Magic and Motor Cars? Was that the first? Was that the first release?
1: Yes, Magic and Motor Cars. That was that I released just a couple months, I think, before releasing the first novel as sort of a. Uh, I released it free yeah. as a sort of taste of my writing style to hopefully hook people and get them to purchase the the full length novel when it came out a few months later.
0: Right. Yeah. So, so how long has that novel been out?
1: Well, a couple of years now. My sense of time has not been very kind to me since COVID started. It's been difficult to keep track, but I think a couple of years at this point, yeah.
0: Yeah. The more authors I speak to, it's, just, it's so encouraging. I mean, my novel, um, by the time it comes out, it'll be a five-year project. So like you said, initial concepts, you're building the characters and it's developing. I mean, I, I wrote the first draft, Crumbs, three and a half years ago.
1: Oh, hey, that's, that's pretty good progress to go in three and a half years from rough draft to, to release.
0: Once it's out, it'll be five years. Well, still. So that's, uh, that's a pretty good timeline. But you come across so many other authors who they get the concept to write the first book and have it out in two years.
1: <laughs> well, all right. That's a lot more but, possible with established writers also who are actually yeah, doing it as yeah. a job and have the time and effort to put into it regularly. Yeah.
0: Because the way I look at it, we're, you're learning a new craft, aren't you? And then once that's out,
1: Absolutely. as
0: you've found, you following books, then come out. You just churn them out. It's a lot easier. Yeah. But, uh...
1: Well, and, and releasing a book is a whole process of its own that's completely separate from yeah, actually writing the book. Absolutely. Especially if, like me, you go the self-publishing route where you're responsible for all of it.
0: Yeah, which, again, I'll be doing. Mm. I mean, how have you found that, the whole marketing side?
1: I'm bad at it. I'm really bad at it. Uh, thankfully, I have friends who are not bad at it. Right. <laughs> So I've I've had a lot of help from from Annalise who is much better at that than I am and then also from my sister who is very good at marketing and social media. Yeah. Even so, I really don't know what I'm doing and it is a challenge and I don't know how long it's going to take me to actually figure out marketing and get my name out there, but I have the, the advantage of having been through a process similar to this when I started my art business a few years ago. Right. So I already understand that starting a new business, marketing your your abilities, your talents is a long, slow progress. And it's taken me almost seven years of, of working on my art business to get to a point where I have sort of an established niche and clientele. And yeah. I know which markets are worth going to and which aren't. Mm-hmm. You know, it's taken me seven years. Yeah. So to think, I've only started this publishing and marketing process a few years ago. It's going to be a few more years before I get to the point where I really understand what I'm doing. And it's been really nice having that previous experience to tell me that I am, in fact, on the right track. And I'm not way behind having taken several years here, that I will actually be able to figure it out and get to the point of understanding what I'm doing and, and how to market my books.
0: Well, some great news here. I mean, going back to whole timing. Well, if I'm right, I think J.K. Rowling um, took seven years to get her first Harry Potter out.
1: Yes, I believe she got rejected a bunch of times by yeah. various publishers. Mm. And a lot, of famous, a lot of famous writers have that story. I think Stephen King got rejected like 50 times before he was accepted. And you hear about, about famous authors who, what was it, Terry Pratchett, who had a, a, a rule that he would come home from his day job, every right. evening and write 400 words. Right. Every evening. Yeah. 400 words between work and evening activities and just plugged away at it until he finished The Color of Magic. Yeah. And you hear that, Um. let's see, Brandon Sanderson, famous fantasy writer from my side of the pond, who um, I think he'd written 13 novels before he got one published. Right. And he was a, a night security guard who would sit in his security booth writing all night. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. that's that's just sort of part of the course is is having that long difficult process
0: mm. another one James Patterson um I had Steph Goodacre on the show last week we were talking about one of James's books and yeah. apparently he took was it over 10 years before he got his first bestseller yeah and it does it gives us all some hope
1: Yes, <laughs> yes,
0: know, that, that all
1: the famous authors started out the same way. Yeah,
0: absolutely.
1: <laughs> it's not because we're bad at it. It's because no. that's how the publishing industry works.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned that dreaded word. Well, the dreaded word, it's, it's our almost godly word. But everybody else thinks, oh, no, you're talking word count again. Yes, <laughs> word count is important. Yes, I mean, yes, it is. What's, I mean, my target's 1, 1,200 words a day. What what's yours if you had to have a general
1: it varies dramatically depending on what my current schedule is yeah and uh it's it's hard for me to set a steady regular schedule um adhd does not contribute very well to a regular writing schedule so i try to write sometimes in the evenings but I tend to need a long period of time to really get deep into something and I yeah. have to get sort of hyper-focused on it before I'm able to actually get anything done. So yeah. Yeah. I tend to work best when I'm able to set aside an entire day mm. and just say, I wasn't able to write for the first five days of the week, but this Saturday I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write for 10 hours. Yeah. And that tends to work a little bit better for me than, than trying to hit a daily word count. Right. So during NaNoWriMo, I do usually manage to, to hit a daily word count. Yeah. I just can't keep that up long-term.
0: Oh, i tell you one thing. I didn't. I had a nightmare. I mean, yeah, the, the target's what? Six, is it 1627 per day? Uh,
1: 1667.
0: Well, I was close. Um, so, I mean, some days, some days before 500, yeah. And then, then I'd have to really knuckle down and do three or four thousand to catch up
1: oh yeah absolutely and you know. it, it's like that for me too there will be days when I don't have time to write or I don't have the energy or the, the mental focus and then the next day I write you know five six thousand words yeah. and it's just pouring out of my head yeah. onto the paper
0: yeah so I mean do you use computer do you use paper or uh,
1: I prefer composing at the computer but I do usually carry a notepad around with me so I can yeah. jot things down if I have ideas or if I can't get to a computer or if for some reason it wouldn't be proper to pull a computer out. Yeah. I I usually have a a notebook in my pocket at work. (laughs) So I'll be uh, sitting there at lunch supervising the students and, uh, you know, maybe jotting down a few ideas in the corner there. (laughs) Yeah,
0: great idea. Great idea. I mean, I, I tend to use a dictaphone. It's all on my phone. So either a dictaphone or make notes on the phone. I should really carry a small notepad around with me as well. but I, Well, I if, if doing it
1: on your phone works for you. Personally, I hate texting. I hate typing on my phone. I just yeah. generally don't like using my phone. So I much prefer having the pen and paper on hand if I yeah. don't have access to a proper keyboard.
0: See, again, it's brilliant the way we're all different. Yeah. I, the simple reason I try and avoid paper is I lose it. <laughs>
1: Oh, God, yes. I will lose it, too, which is oh, why notebooks are so helpful, because it's all bound in. As long as yes. you keep track of the book, you're not going to lose it.
0: <laughs> oh, I love it. Absolutely love it. Now, you you mentioned Annalise, uh, who, as you know, we had on the show a few weeks ago. Um, and we met via uh, NaNoWriMo, as, as you mentioned. Or, or Na- No, it's NaNoWriMo, isn't it? I think.
1: However you want to pronounce it. Everyone pronounces it differently. Yeah. I've actually got a sticker on my computer that has um, multiple different pronunciations listed and then at the end it says whatever
0: just write. (laughs) Actually, how many times have you done it? How many times have you completed the challenge?
1: Well, let's see. I've done it every year since 2006. Wow. I've not completed the challenge every year okay. but I have participated every year right. since 2006 yeah um I've also participated on and off in the Camp Remo, the summer event
0: oh right yes
1: and uh again sometimes hit the goal sometimes didn't but where yeah. I see it is even if I don't come near the stated goal I've written more than I would have without that push to make me sit down yeah. and, and aim for a word count so yeah. it's still yeah. worthwhile even if I don't actually hit the official goal
0: mm. Oh, absolutely. I mean, my plan is to do it uh, this coming year. Yeah. So that could be, yeah. (laughs) So yeah, Annalise, where did you both meet? How did it happen? We
1: we actually met in an online class when we were both in high school. Yeah. Um, We were were both homeschooled and we were both taking online classes through um, a school that actually is exclusively online. It was originally um, created for the children of... Missionaries in other countries whose children weren 't able to get a up to standard sort of education in whatever country they were working in, yeah. and so it was one hundred percent online to offer an American high quality education for for those kids um, but then it sort of expanded and just became an online high school and yeah. uh, so we were both taking a literature class, and we actually came within moments of never never becoming friends. It was the very last day of class mm-hmm. that I kind of had the oh hey I've seen this person leaving comments she seems cool yeah. why don't we exchange email addresses and we just kind of did on a whim and started talking about writing and it just snowballed from there.
0: Wow! So when did you decide to write together? Because I mean that is so exciting.
1: It wasn't really a decision. Um, <laughs> So when we first started, you know, talking via email, and then I suppose via, I guess it would have been Google chat. Yeah. We, you know, just started sort of interacting, chatting with each other. And it was, it was writing that brought us together in the first place. I mean, we were in a literature class, and we had noticed that the other had mentioned doing creative writing, yeah. we had shared some of our writing in class at times, and had, mm. so we'd seen samples of each other's writing. Yeah. And so it was just very natural for us to start our relationship on that topic. Yeah. And before we ever really became deep friends, we had started playing sort of chat-based role-playing games where each of us created a character and we just took turns going back and forth sort of writing the next paragraph of a story. Yeah. And the phrase we sometimes used is that we try to out-chaos one another. Okay. And just sort of add more plot devices, throw more more trouble into the mix and then just see how the other person reacts and how their character reacts. Mm. And so we we've always done that from the very beginning of our friendship. Yeah. And I guess it would have been then six, eight, eight years. Ah, goodness, I can't remember. Um, when we first started writing the the Shalik Sea stories. Yeah. Um, which Jubilant is is the first one of that series. Yes. We did not sit down with the intent of writing a book. We were just doing a role playing game like we often did. Wow. I created the captain and she created a first officer and we took our ships through some dangerous rocks and had some witty banter and repartee back and forth. And then we just kept writing. Uh, I think it was over Thanksgiving break. So we had like a full week that we didn't have to be in school. Uh, We were both in college at that point. And um, we just spent that whole week writing basically. And at the end of that week, I think we had basically the full draft of a novel. And we looked at it and we were sort of like, well, we just wrote a book, so um, maybe we should edit it and make it actually a book. Yeah. And then we realized it was actually fragments of a story that belonged much later in the series. So we went back and started from a more reasonable starting point. But those, those initial days of, of just sort of playing at random, figuring out a story as we went along was the beginning of the entire series that we're writing now.
0: Wow. I mean, how long do you think it will take you to, to complete the entire series? Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I mean, 10, 10, 12, 14 years?
1: Well, we've got 11 or 12 books planned in the series. Yeah. And we are optimistically hoping to publish one every two years. Okay. So that would make it over 20 years yeah. before we're done with it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So it is definitely a long-term project.
0: Yeah. The other thing we've got to talk about is your artwork. It's brilliant, brilliant artwork. Thank you. You've done all the artwork on Jubilant, haven't you, and your other books?
1: Yes. So, yeah, I did the, the cover art and then the interior illustrations. I think there are 32 illustrations in Jubilant. Right. I wasn't able to do one for every chapter, but then I also did some sort of front matter, some diagrams and stuff. So there's there's a lot of drawings in there. And then also I've done artwork for the my solo projects for the case of the Dragonbone engine and for the two short stories that I have so far with that. Right. And um, I have, you know, stuff planned for my other stories as well. And one of the big things that I ha- sort of have planned is that I want my art style to match the subject matter of the book. Yeah. So I'm not using the same art style for each series. Yeah. So for, for Jubilant, for the Sherlock C series, I'm using a, a realistic shaded pencil drawings, sort of trying to imitate the style of the, the 1700s and the sort of pencil or silver point drawings that would be done as preparation for some of those famous oil paintings. Ah. Whereas for the, um, the Dragonbone Engine series, yeah. I took a lot of inspiration from the original Sherlock Holmes artwork Right. I'm not sure if you know that it was originally illustrated.
0: Yes. Yeah, I've seen a few of them.
1: Because it was it was published in the Strand magazine, it, serially, in serial format, and yeah. there were pen and ink illustrations that yeah, accompanied. i seen them. Mm. Yeah, so I happen to have one of those massive, uh, like, leather-bound, complete work of Sherlock Holmes books that reprinted the original drawings as well as the original like typesetting and stuff so it looks the way it would have looked in the strand magazine mm. so i spent a long time studying those pictures sort of learning the victorian pen and ink art style yeah. to imitate for the dragon engine series and i'll be doing the same for for other series in future trying to match the style to the content
0: i mean what brilliant thinking i mean i never thought of that but it makes absolute sense it just, you know, because it does, it, it, then, it brings your imagination into how it was in those days.
1: I hope so. That sort yeah. of, that's sort of the idea. Yeah,
0: I, I think it's a great <laughs> idea. And there's something else you've done that, again, I absolutely adore, is when I was talking to uh, Annalise, she was telling me that, uh, and I can't remember who of you came up with the idea, but about actually having menus and recipes from that era, from the story.
1: Yes, I'm not sure who came up with the idea either. Yeah. We share a brain. So, um, but yes, we I think it was because we'd had a number of people comment about how many scenes in Jubilant took place over meals. Yeah. That there was a large focus on characters having conversations at the dinner table or in restaurants or pubs. Yeah. And that we we sort of realized that we might as well make that a feature rather than a bug, as it were. Because we had some people being like I don't know, it's sort of repetitive. Is it right to have so many scenes that are like that? When we were, you know, having beta readers look through it. And mm. we ultimately decided, well, I mean, people do have a lot of meaningful conversations over meals. That's yeah. kind of how it works mm. in most cultures. Yeah. So we, we decided to sort of lean into that and emphasize the meals even more, make it very obvious that this was a deliberate choice on our part to focus important conversations around meals. And so then, yeah, we we started coming up with the ideas of what sorts of things they would be eating just as part of the world building and the writing that if we were going to write these scenes set around a meal, then obviously a lot of the incidental details taking place during the conversations of the characters would be things like, oh, and now they're bringing in the next course and now they're drinking some wine and so forth. and so we had to come up with at least the the general idea of what the cuisine of each culture would be like. Yeah. And from there, I guess it just sort of snowballed, um, which is a bit ironic given that neither Annalise nor I particularly enjoys cooking most of the time, okay. but we've discovered that we do like cooking for other people, Right. that we don't really enjoy just the, the act of cooking, but if it's, if it's for something special, if it's for a specific purpose, and in this case, it was serving the purpose of world building and also having something fun to share with friends yeah. that it suddenly sort of triggered an interest in cooking that neither of us had really felt before.
0: Mm.
1: So yeah, we started putting together the, the recipes. And as you, as you said, I, I do have those recipes and menus listed on my website, on my blog. And I accompanied each of them with a, a sort of mini story trying to immerse the reader in the setting where the meal mm. would be taking place. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a lot of fun and we are planning on doing some more with that and theoretically at some point putting together an actual cookbook based on the countries of the Chalic Sea, the world that we've built. And a lot of them will be familiar sorts of recipes. A lot of the cultures we've got are heavily influenced by existing cultures, but I still think it would be a lot of fun to to put together our unique twists on those traditional sorts of recipes to make them fit into the fantasy world
0: yeah I mean that's brilliant so it's just absolutely brilliant so so yeah that is really something for people to look forward to well
1: you can already go on the website and see the ones that we did come up with I think there's six meals worth of of recipes up there right now one from each of the six countries that we cooked our way around the perimeter of the Charlotte Sea and then presumably I'll be adding some more in future but
0: yeah well, I've I've had a look, and it's, in fact, I promised Annalise that I'd uh, would definitely be sampling something. I've got to decide which one yet.
1: Oh, well, that sounds fun! You have to, you have to let us know what we you think. We will have of it. to
0: tell you all about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what are you working on now? What's the?
1: well, that's a bit of a complicated question, actually.
0: <laughs> okay.
1: So, technically, officially. I am working on the next installment in the Dragonbone Engine series, the Royal yeah. Investigative Service stuff. I have another short story in progress, and then I've also been working on the second book in the trilogy. Yeah. However, I have been in that stage of technically working on those things for close to a year now and have not made a whole lot of progress. Right. I have been in an unprecedented stage of writer's block it's not something that I've ever really struggled with previously mm. and then in in recent months I've really really been struggling with sitting down and getting writing done right. and I think a large part of it might have to do with the fact that I have never experienced this before that I've just written and written and written and rarely taken much of a break yeah. and you know I was honing my craft and finishing drafts and editing things and jumping into new drafts and new things and I can't remember a time that I've ever gone more than a few weeks without writing, ever. Right, yeah. So I think I may have perhaps burned myself out a bit and just sort of need a little bit of time for my brain to relax and reset and get back into writing. Yeah. So I have not done a whole lot of writing lately, but my brain's still working. The muse is still alive and well. And I feel like a lot of sort of fragmentary thoughts and world building ideas have been percolating and coming together in the back of my head. So I think, I, I feel like I'm on the verge of getting back into writing on a more regular basis. Yeah. And that when I do, I'm going to have sort of an explosion of creativity and inventiveness from all these thoughts that have been sort of moving around dormant in the back of my head waiting. Yeah. So hopefully, <laughs> I'll, be, I'll be back to writing properly soon here.
0: Mm. Oh, I'd, I'd say definitely um i mean i think it happens to everyone like i say in those dormant times you just you just rest your mind it's almost like your subconscious mind works it all out while you're sleeping or over the 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 few days or weeks while you're resting yeah
1: it does Mm. and my problem is i don't know how to rest (laughs) <laughs> so instead of just being like, all right, I need a break. Let's take a break. I sit there agonizing over why I can't get anything done. Why can't I get things on paper? Why am I being so useless? And then, of course, that just makes it harder to rest and makes it take longer before I can recover and get back to it.
0: <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Is there an underlying message behind your books?
1: Not always the same specific message, certainly, but I definitely have a... Driving philosophy or desire behind all of my writing, yeah, and um, i think I think I largely boil it down to a phrase that I picked up from my studies of medieval literature that was expressed several different ways by different authors, but it boils down to the purpose of literature is to teach and to delight that that every every book ought to fulfill at least one of those two purposes to teach yeah. the audience something or to bring delight to the audience mm. so in in terms of teaching the audience something i don't like to you know get preachy or go over the top in in hammering home a, a specific you know moral point i'm not writing fables mm-hmm. but i do i do very much want to instill a sense of hope yeah a message that good wins in the end i yeah. think that fantasy is very conducive to that because it does often have to do with the sort of good and evil massive sorts of struggles yeah i agree mm. and I suppose in terms of delight, then, a sense of peace or escape. People will often criticise fantasy for being escapist. And I've always thought it very strange because escape is a good thing. Absolutely. You talk about wanting to escape from prison, escape from a bad situation, escape from slavery. So the idea of escaping from a difficult or trying aspect of real life should not be a bad thing. Certainly if you live in the escape and you never go back to face reality, then that can become problematic. But the whole point of fantasy, in my opinion, is... To give people a break, to give them peace, to give them rest, to give them a sense that they can leave behind the troubles of reality and can go into a story where they can feel confident that the hero will win, that there is a happy ending, that no matter how bad things look, good will prevail. Mm. And they can bring that message back into everyday life. Exactly. And hopefully, if you've done your job right as an author, they'll come back feeling refreshed and ready to tackle things and ready to believe for another day that everything will be right in the
0: end. Absolutely. You, I mean, you couldn't describe it better.
1: A lot of that does come from my, my Christian background, my Christian worldview. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've had people ask certainly, you know, am I a Christian writer? And that's always an odd question to answer because a lot of people, when they say a Christian author or a Christian writer, they mean someone who writes explicitly Christian or Christian allegory yeah. stories. Yeah. And I don't usually. Most of my stuff is, you know, pure fantasy, no direct correlations to the real world or to my philosophies or religion. Yeah. But I think that, that that Christian worldview certainly does come through in that, that sense of good winning in the end of hope, of mm. joy. The the Christian worldview, of course, being so so big on the idea of salvation and of hope for everyone and of the fact that no matter how far gone you are, no matter how bad things are, you can still be saved. You can still get that happy ending. Yeah. So that's, that's definitely a big, a big part of that.
0: Mm, absolutely. Where can listeners get your current books? Where can they get your books?
1: For the most part, Amazon. Yeah. I do have links to all of them on my website, as well as some excerpts. And that first short story is free on my website. Mm. So um, I generally recommend just go look at my website first. Yeah. Then you can see all the stories laid out with links and pictures and excerpts and sort of get a sense for whether you want to bother going on Amazon and buying. Right. But the main novels, the co-written one, Jubilant, and The Case of the Dragonbone Engine, you can get in hard copy or Kindle format. The two short stories are only available in Kindle format right now. I have not released them as as hard copy. And the three entries in the Dragonbone series, the three solo projects that I've done, are also available on Audible. I have not yet had time to finish recording Jubilant for Audible right. because that book is rather longer. But the, my three solo projects, you can get the audiobook versions.
0: Yeah, brilliant. And obviously, I'll put the link to your website on the show notes. Marvelous. So I'll definitely be doing that. Right, now I have got a question for you.
1: I've got an answer for you.
0: How can you? I haven't asked you the question yet.
1: Well, let's see if they match.
0: (laughs) Unless unless Annalise has pre-warned you.
1: She's not warned me about anything.
0: (laughs) Right. Now, I think it was actually the very first episode of this show. I managed to talk myself into rewriting um, a modern version of The Boy Who Cried Wolf. So I'm asking everyone I speak to, and obviously listeners, to suggest a genre. All right. So... What do you think? Now, here are the choices. Crime, romance, sci-fi, fantasy, horror, or perhaps a genre crossover. What do you think?
1: Well, I always lean toward fantasy because that's my favourite genre. Yeah. If I was going to write it, let's see, I think I would probably... Take it in a in a slightly darker, perhaps a more horror fantasy direction. I think that could work well. Mm. Um, the the sense of of repetition without oh no see now that now that I'm thinking about that that idea of repetition yeah getting the same result every time over and over and over again mm. that makes me think time loop. So perhaps sci-fi would work. He's trapped in a time loop. Every time he comes and warns people the same thing happens again and again, and he's yeah. got to find a way to break the time loop and, and save them. I don't know.
0: Yeah, I like
1: that. Sci-fi could work. Yeah. Feels, you know what? It feels like it would make a good Doctor Who episode. It's <laughs> sort yes. of like yeah. fantasy wolf, weird kind of aspect, but then also the sort of time loop and the, the, the fear of not really knowing what's going on and yeah. can, you, can you save them? Can you fix it? Can you make it come out right this time?
0: Yeah. Because mm. someone else suggested, you know, romance, crime. Yeah. Uh, but I do, I, I love sci-fi and fantasy myself.
1: I, I like it when sci-fi and fantasy sort of mingle. Yeah. That's part of why I love Doctor Who yeah. so much, is that it, it can't make up its mind, which it is. Yeah. And that's brilliant.
0: Yeah. You've
1: got that sort of, is it magic? Is it science? Does it matter?
0: Mm. And Yeah, that sort of, the time loop idea, that's, oh yeah, I like that. I like that. But you see, what I've got to do with this, I don't want it to be on what I like or what I want. I want to get a consensus of what everybody else is saying.
1: So you' go, the, go
0: with the majority the vote. Yeah,
1: yeah. all right. <laughs> yeah.
0: Uh, and then what I'm going to do then is put it out as an um, immersive audio experience.
1: Nice. Nice.
0: But I do I do love that, um, that time travel idea.
1: Well hey, if you need voice actors.: Yeah.: I'd be happy to, to come on and, and do voices for you.
0: Hey, fantastic. There we go, folks. We have, <laughs> we, we have our first actor.: Yes.
1: There we go. Here I am. I can do accents and everything. The problem is stopping.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Right. Gladriel, this has been absolutely fantastic. I've really enjoyed talking with you.
1: I've enjoyed talking with you too. This has been fun.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, thank you very much.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: My pleasure. And we must do it again soon.
1: Well, I hope we do.
0: Fantastic. Well, for now then. Fare thee well. Bye. Mm-hmm. There we go! Thank you, Galadriel. You will find her website details on the show notes, and I really encourage you to take a look. Not forgetting those rather tasty looking recipes. To connect with me, you can either email stripbackthepages at gmail.com or message me on Twitter at stripbackpages. As always, thank you for listening and have a fantastic week. Until next time, this is your host, NJ, signing off.